Please be seated and together let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that the scriptures read and your word proclaimed. We may hear with the joy that you say to us today. Amen. A reading from the book, the second book of Kings, the fifth chapter. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from a skin disease. Now, the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then. And I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends me, sends word to me to cure a man of his skin disease? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the skin disease. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned away and went in rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, Wash and be clean. So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Here ends the reading.
A reading from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, the sixth chapter. My brothers and sisters, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Here ends the reading. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Listen with me for the word of God. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, 
The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. It's time to go. That's what Jesus was saying to the crowd who had gathered around him. Jesus famously gathered first 12 apostles mentoring them in the faith. And then it seems there were others listening, watching, eager to be a part of what was happening. And so Jesus called that crowd, 70 of them, 7-0, and gave them work to do. He sent them on ahead to places where Jesus himself would be going. And he gave them some very specific instructions. He said things like, take no purse, no pair of sandals, the sort of creature comforts that we think will protect us and make us feel more comfortable, the items that we tend to find refuge in. You, you, you're not going to need those things. And greet no one on the road. I find this particular part very intriguing, especially in the South, where we like to greet everybody. Do you ever have that situation when you're driving down the road, maybe out in the rural part of the county? You're driving down the road and on a two-lane, and then along the other side comes a person, and you see their hands on the steering wheel, and as you drive by, they give you that warm and gracious greeting of, you know, it's just four fingers. It's not even a wave, really, but it's just... I think it's just a gesture. It's a way to acknowledge somebody's presence. It's a way to inaudibly say, hello there, I am glad you're driving safely as you're passing by me. But Jesus said, don't, don't feel like you need to greet everybody along the road because there is work for you to do where you are heading. And when you arrive there, says Jesus... Receive the hospitality that people graciously give to you. Eat their food. Stay there. Don't just be antsy trying to get from one place to the next. And when you get there, says Jesus, offer peace unto the house. John chapter 14, Jesus, in preparing his disciples, says that he is giving them peace. Think about this. In order to give somebody something, it has to exist. Oftentimes we think of peace as merely the absence of conflict. But for Jesus, peace is also the presence of God's loving kindness. It's something. It's real. Jesus says, offer them peace. And if they share in that peace, wonderful. If not, well, that's on them. This line I find particularly intriguing. 
And from a Wesleyan perspective, I think it's evidence of what we call prevenient grace. God's grace that is present and active in the life of a person even before they realize it. The peace might be lingering in the hearts of these people whom you will soon meet. Acknowledge it. Celebrate it. And then when you are there sharing in the peace, then the love of Jesus just has a way of overwhelming the relationship and what's happening. And it's a beautiful thing when that happens. The kingdom of God has come near. Now, in order for all of this to happen, those 70 disciples needed to go. They needed to be on the move. They couldn't just stay where they were. This was Jesus' vision for the earliest expression of the church. And it's also Jesus' vision for the church today. I think this is such an important reminder for us because sometime in the mid-20th century, the American church fell in love with the idea of let's be an attractive place and then people will come to us. And we got fooled into thinking that it worked. And after decades and decades of thinking that the job of the church is to be an attractive place that can draw people to us, we can forget the vision that Jesus has. We're to be on the go. We're to be out and about. Instead of being so caught up in the question of what can we do to attract more people to us, we need to ask, where are people and where can we go to them? Namely, hurting people, lonely people, broken and sad people who are in need of the saving message of Jesus. Jesus is once again using a farming metaphor. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. If faith is like a mustard seed, teeny tiny, that grows into this giant giant shrub. And if sharing the word is like a sower scattering seed on all kinds of soil, then the work of the church is also the work of a farmer that requires effort, perseverance, patience. But we need to go out into the fields that's where the growth happens. This is what you and I, as the church, are called to be and do. It's time to go. It's time to get out. It's time to be the church out in the world. It's time to be on the go. Now, there are two specific ways that our church is going to be doing this. And I want to talk about both of them with you right now. Coming up in a month, love thy neighbor. During the first week of August, everybody in the church, and I really do mean everybody, including you and the person sitting beside you, everybody is going to be invited to be a part of a team, a team of people that will go out into the community to meet the real needs of people who are hurting and, in need, and suffering. Maybe it's doing yard work for someone nearby who is just not able to get out and do it for themselves. Maybe it's installing 
a handicap railing so that a person can be safer in his or her own home. Maybe it's a minor home repair. Maybe it's doing something for Eisenberg Elementary School, with whom we've been in partnership for so long. Maybe one of the other local agencies with whom we're in ministry. But it's about getting out and serving. This is who we're called to be. Love thy neighbor. I am inviting you to seriously pray and think about how God is calling you to be a part of this work. You're going to hear more details in the coming weeks about how you can sign up. But in your mind's eye, just imagine this first week of August when everybody within First United Methodist Church is being sent out into the community to serve and to love in the name of Jesus. That's one item. Here's the second way that the church is on the go. Camp Discovery, which begins today. Camp Discovery started 20 years ago when a group of people within this church, after spending a year studying the Bible, felt compelled at the end of that Bible study to do something, especially for the sake of young people in the community who wouldn't have the chance to go to camp. Something extraordinarily special that requires sacrificial giving and effort. And so coming up this week, fourth and fifth graders from around Rowan County are going to be paired up with a mentor. You're going to see some of them in just a moment. And together, they're going to experience a fantastic week of camp. Now, for camp discovery to happen, we can't just stay here within the comfort of this building, expecting people to come to us, expecting us to just have camp here. We need to be on the go. Over the past several months, Bailey Weisensell, our church's director of children's ministry, she's been talking with guidance counselors at the area schools, finding out the children who could participate. But that requires getting out and about. The camp is going to happen at Mount Shepherd Retreat Center in Ashboro, located about an hour away. A special place, a holy place where the love of Jesus Christ will be shared with these campers, it will change their lives. And you are helping to make it happen. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Are you ready to respond to the call of Jesus Christ? You know, stories are amazing to tell, and when these 70 were sent out, they had amazing stories to tell about people who were healed, people who experienced transformation in their lives. And those stories were being shared amongst each other, and that gave them a sense of energy moving forward in the earliest days of the church. You and I need a story to tell. The good news of the gospel is that we already have one, and that story compels us to go out and create new stories. This last week, my wife and I experienced a fantastic vacation touring the parks in southern Utah. And when we got back, we got to talking with Tyler and Mia, telling them our stories, and we just barely scraped the top of the iceberg. 
And we were hearing about their stories because they spent time with a cadre of family members over the past week. We're sharing stories and we're talking. Our other son, Connor, he is finishing up a two-week trip in Eastern Europe. We're so excited for him to come back and for all of us to share our stories together. Earlier this morning, he was in Wittenberg, Germany, touring the place where Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the church door that sparked the Protestant Reformation. And right now, literally as we speak, he is in Leipzig, home of the Leipzig debates, where some of those earliest conversations about faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, were first happening. Can't wait to hear those stories from him. Do you know what else I can't wait to hear about? I can't wait to hear from these mentors about the impact of God's love during this week of camp. And I'm also already excited to hear the stories from you when we experience that first week of August together, love thy neighbor. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I pray that you will say yes to the high calling of Jesus Christ, much like these mentors for Camp Discovery have. I invite all of you to join me here on the front steps as we have a special time of commissioning our Camp Discovery mentors.